cliffcentral.com. Okay, come on, sing. How do I make this smaller? There's no, there's no lyrics. It's ominous. It is ominous, mm-hmm. but there's no lyrics. Yeah. You, now, add, you you sing you sing over you sing over the lip. Oh, jeez. Why are you cutting me off? I don't know why I'm cutting you off. This thing is this thing has cut us all both off. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to the show. It is frankly speaking, and uh, we are talking. Uh, uh, some serious stuff here, and uh, we've got some serious technical issues as well. It's funny, eh? Yeah, well, you know, th- this the is technicalities the, of issues. This here. is what happens. Mm-hmm. Rory, let's uh, start with where you at. How are you doing, buddy? This is quite an intense show that we're about to get into. It's a difficult show. I think um, we, uh, you know, for me, uh, the the importance of the show is underscored by a conversation I had recently with mm. a very dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, there were three of us around the breakfast table, um, two males and, and, and one female. And the males just started mouthing off about rape. And, you know, it was just like uh, we were just going on about, Jeez, you know, the scourge of rape is actually a lot more common than we think it is. Um, you know, it would be we would be surprised to know just how many women have been raped and carry stories of being raped. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and then she started tearing up. This and, was a woman uh, that was sitting at the This was the woman when well. she started tearing up and she said, you know, I'm also a stat. That, those are the words she used. I am also a statistic. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like, sheesh, you know, this is, this is heavy. And um, to what extent, uh, you know, when, you, when we think about rape, and maybe it's just me, but um, in the popular imagination, rape happens to those people over there mm-hmm. of a certain type. By who, monsters. Who look like a certain type, who, mm-hmm. who are raped by monsters who have long teeth and so on and so on but you like you know when you look into it it's people that know that know that know the victim uh that are raping it's people that are that we go to work with mm. right it's it's not it's not somewhere out there and so on it's it's me and you andrew um we know how to dress ourselves up speak right and so on but there's this other side to us where we're just evil we are we 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 are rapists mm. uh, and so we thought okay so let's have a question let's have a conversation i think on the one hand it's we're saying have you never been raped seems to be a more apt question in south africa than mm. have you ever been raped it's a it seems the scourge is so prevalent that the, the question that we should be asking is have you never been raped yeah and then so have you ever raped mm. which is another one which you feel strongly about yeah i mean i think the the facebook messages that we got uh, around this topic leading up to the show just showcases where the south african mentality for both male and female is at the moment um we've got you know we had some comments where whereby the female participants in that Facebook uh, thread were saying, you know, I'm lucky that I haven't been raped. You know, like it's, it's almost like I've hit the jackpot that I didn't, yeah. I didn't get raped. You're like, yeah. what is going on in this world that we're at that stage? And then I think on the other side, this conversation about rape is very one-sided. It's very um, female orientated. It talks about the victims and we don't even talk about the perpetrators and why men get into the stage and, and space of being rapists. And, you know, the other thing about rape which fascinates me is 
uh, there's the, the legal definition, but then there's also the the actual definition and the the actual the semantics of of what the spectrum of sexual offences. Exactly, and mm. I think that you know I come from a, a single sex school, a monastic school, and I think it really you know I'm passionate about this. It starts there, unfortunately, um, because does it though? Because we then find it out could start that earlier. Thirteen year old. Yeah, it could start earlier. Sure. You know, so so for me, actually, that's where it started. So, Let's put it that way. <laughs> so we, we, we need to explore this. So where does it start and how is how is it that we're producing? So it's one thing when it's adults, but when mm. it's 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds doing, where did they learn this from? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I think this is a conversation that I'm going in rather, you know, worried. I don't know if even men have a legitimate uh, a, a place within this conversation. And so, um, you know, I think as a disclaimer, some of the questions might offend because maybe I just don't have. You don't get it. I don't get it. I mm. don't have enough context and so on. And I'm I'm opening myself up to be schooled mm. if if mm-hmm. need be. I, th- I just think that it's a very difficult conversation to get into, and whether whether we should be part, whether we should be hosting a show, you know, because there've been questions raised about two oh males. two men, mm-hmm. two men are going to to host host this conversation, and and maybe we should we should find out what is it about what is the apprehension about. Um, two men are hosting a conversation on rape. I think the other thing is to say we want to take this conversation further, right? We know that rape is bad. Um, I think, you know, like no one ever is going to be like, no, rape's good. So we put that away. Like, how do we take this conversation about sexual abuse and rape that is absolutely in a, in an, a pandemic status at the moment. Um, how do we take it forward? Uh, we all, we'd love to hear from you as well, of course, on our WhatsApp, on our Twitter handles uh, at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. And you can also get us on uh, WhatsApp um, and it's at Cliff Central. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your stories. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us the questions that, that aren't being asked enough. We've got a number of them on our, our Facebook feeds as well. But we'd love to hear if you've got a personal experience about it. That'd be amazing as well. Let's introduce our first guest and get into it because I think uh, we've got a number of different guests, a number of different points of view. We've, we've been speaking to researchers who've been talking to perpetrators and we've got a, a, a wonderful woman by the name of Mara Glennie in studio. She's the founder and director of Transform Education about Rape and Sexual Abuse and uh, I think commonly known as TIA. Is that correct? Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great and I'm so glad we're talking about rape and abuse today because it's a topic that needs to be discussed. And then just in answer to one of your earlier comments, I think it Wait. should be discussed by everyone in <laughs> South Africa. We want to, we want to get into that conversation. Let's just welcome um, our, our other guest who's on the line, Shandukane Mulaudzi. Um, Shandukane, good morning. Shandukane, are you there? Hello, I am. Hi, Shandukane. So Shandukane is the engagement editor for the Huffington Post South Africa. Um, she wrote uh, quite a compelling piece about um, the fact that the first time she touched a penis, she did not want to touch it. She was very young. I think it was five years old or so. Um, and, 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 and then speaks about the, the, the number of different times where her exposure and her, and, and, and her, you know, seeing penises and so on, um, was always just shoved in her face without her wanting to. So I think there's a conversation to be had there. Shandukane, maybe just enlighten us a bit. Why did you, what is it? 
it that happened or was happening uh, the moments before you decided to write this article? Why now? I mean, these are stories from, you know, way back. Um, what what was it at this point that said, right, I'm writing this article. It has to be said at this point. So I don't know if it was um, you or Andrew in the intro when you were talking about a conversation that you were having and you were talking mm. with men and women mm. about, um, you know, it, it often happens where there are all these, there, there's so many people and you don't know that this has happened to them and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And so for me, it happened that my boyfriend and I were actually talking about, I don't know how it came about, but we were talking about sexual violence. And he said, he also, he made the same statement. He said, you know, I, I it often happens where I, I find that there's so many women in my life who have experienced XYZ and you have no idea because we don't talk about it and it's silence and whatever. And I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'm one of those women and we'd never had that conversation. And we didn't even have it then. He he read that story um, at the same time as everyone else. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, yeah. And I think for me, the big push was um, it was there, there's so many things that we have been discussing that week about sexual harassment and all of this stuff and then um, there happened to be an event on Wednesday night last week at VIT mm. where they were talking about rape culture and the fear that we all have um, around our lives we, we're basically afraid every day mm. and uh, I remember once asking my mom what her biggest fear was and she said for my daughters to be raped, mm. and um, I have the same fear. I have the same. I have the fear for myself as well. And so, when we're talking about Kumakola and a number of other women, they were saying we need to rid ourselves of the fear or confront the fear so that it no longer consumes us in such a way that we don't know how to deal with it. Mm. And so I've been afraid for many, many years to ever discuss this on a public platform. And so to get rid of that fear for myself, I I let it go. What I didn't realize is that there would be people who didn't like what I said and I'd probably be re-traumatized. But wow. I mean... It's, it's, it's what happens and you have to deal with it as it comes. Shandukani, maybe help us and, and look, we're coming in and uh, going to be vulnerable to you and, uh, and, and all our other guests that we're obviously coming in as men um, who have never mm-hmm. experienced uh, um, sexual violence, either of us. Um, so, so, look, we might get it wrong and I think it, it's, it's for you to please uh, guide us through this. But um, this thing mm-hmm. about speaking out about rape... Um, you know, mm. there's the, on the one side we say speak out about rape; it helps others. But on the other hand, it's it's speak up, uh, speak out about rape. What does it do for you? So, w- where should we be guiding society as far as um, speaking about rape? Is it something that we should be saying to victims, speak out, or or is it something that you know should continue just being kept because it's a personal thing? It's it's a humiliation and it's a pain that you as an individual have gone through. I almost feel like sometimes we expect people to speak out because it makes us feel better. But what does it mean for the victim? Mm. How, how does that, I mean, you say mm-hmm. you got 
you got lashback uh, uh, from from um, from writing that piece. Uh, so it's actually you're putting yourself mm-hmm. out in a very vulnerable way, and then you get all of this uh, feedback, and not all of it is positive, which which might even make cause you to relive some of the trauma. How, how what is the conversation yeah. we should be having? Speak out or don't speak out. I don't think that we can dictate um, either way. I think when people are ready, they 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 should speak out. Um, and and that may not be everyone. Uh, when I wrote my piece, it wasn't so that I would inspire other women to speak out. No, I I don't think that um, that's a decision that anyone can make on behalf of someone else because of the fact that there's the fact that they'll probably re, be re-traumatized um, and and that sort of thing. So. I don't think the conversation should be on victims to speak out, but rather that we start talking about the perpetrators and we talk about the the them or they're the problem here, not not women who are not speaking out. The problem is that it's happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's where the conversation should be. It should not be women hey, come out and say what's happened to you. No, because that puts it on a woman to talk about the fact that men are excuse my French fucked up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not fair. It's it's not a fair um thing to put on, on someone who has been traumatized to then re traumatize themselves so that someone some way can learn from it. The issue, that's not the issue. The issue is who is doing this? Why are they doing it? And that's why we should not be talking about rape once it's happened. We should be talking about the culture of rape. Where does it start? Where where, where do these things come from? Why do men feel like they own us? Because that's a big thing is that for a man to feel like he can violate you in that kind of way, he believes that he has every right to your body. And that's where the problem starts. Shandukani, I'm interested to hear what some of the feedback was that really touched you in terms of the negative feedback. What what, uh, what came mm. back at you that that really affected you? Mm. I think Rory said um, that the thing about this is that uh, I, I spoke about something that happened to me when I was five. Mm. And there was a guy who said, oh, wow, it's interesting that this writer remembers something that happened to her when she was five years old. Um, you wow. know, there are two ways in which people deal with trauma. Mm. And some people hide it away and it's, it, it disappears in um, their their, their um, and uh, memory in, in their conscious and yeah and 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 it takes a lot for it to even resurface. Then there are some people who remember everything vividly, and it's it's sad that I still have that vivid memory of something mm. like that. Also, it happened more than once. Just because I wrote about the first incident doesn't mean that it just happened once. And also the fact that I would need to explain that is frustrating. It, mm. it, I, I don't I don't understand why someone would say that. Why is that the only comment that they had on that entire piece? Then there was a guy who um, said, oh, I hate this so much. You know, so many of us men are so good. And then we generalize like this, whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. So you read this whole piece, and yet again, what you see is men being painted with one brush, and that's what you hate, not Mm -hmm. the fact that 
women are being that sexually violated mm. in this way. This is not what you're mad about. You're mad about the fact that you are lumped into this category. If you're not a bad man, why are you so upset? I don't understand that thinking. I, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would you be upset about something that has nothing to do with you? So Unless, of course, you are part of the problem. So, so I mean, you're raising the fact that the, the, the feedback, the negative feedback seems to be the examples you're giving are guys. So, there's quite an interesting mm. thing about how guys um, uh, relate and, and engage in this conversation. And uh, it is our belief, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were very apprehensive about coming onto a show um, hosted by just guys talking about this. Um, mm. w- where, where did that stem from? And um, how do guys, is there a legitimate place at, at, in this conversation for guys? Um, or should we be just staying out of it? Uh, or at least that's what we were reading from your response. How how then should guys be participating, if at all? So for me, I feel that men cannot be the ones who lead the conversation when it comes to rape. Men should be supportive in, in their role. So, for example... Um, it's like if we're having a conversation about racism. If white people are leading the conversation on racism, it's completely lost because that's not their experience, right? Um, and so for me, the, the main thing is that men should be talking about it. That's definitely because it's a man problem. But I think that when men are talking about it, it has to be, it has to be a different uh, conversation. And so when um, I read the brief and it said we're talking about why do you rape? That's a different thing from um, men talking about why are women raped. I don't. That, that, so me, for me, that's where the nuances are. Men should speak to men about rape. Men should be speaking to men about why they should not rape. It shouldn't be a conversation about. Um, uh, as women, what can we do, or what what are the things? You, I, I don't know if, if I'm making. No, sense, I, I think I think you you you. Sorry to interrupt you. You bring up a very good point about this, Shandukani, because I think one of the interesting feedbacks from our, our social pages is this idea of um, – so a few a few victims have spoken to their perpetrators, had the opportunity to speak to their perpetrators. And one of the interesting feedback um, moments was when the perpetrator actually didn't even acknowledge or understand that what he was doing was incorrect. Uh, that what he was doing was actual rape. He just thought it was part of the lexicon, part of the, you know, male-female interactions. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying about men must speak to men, but I think there's, you know, and, and mm. we can have a separate conversation about racism as well, but I think that this is part of the problem, right? Is that because mm. we as males don't have the lived experience of what it's like to, to live in a patriarchal society, often that line, as stupid as it sounds, gets grayed completely because you start justifying things in your mind, you start doing, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just saying there needs to be a conversation about yo dude, like when you do this it makes me feel like this and it, it's not even, I'm not even talking about rape now because I think the, the gray areas yeah. the gray areas beforehand are as psychologically traumatizing as as as, as rape is and, and yet we don't speak about that either you know, um, to your point earlier about how um, how this idea that men deserve own female bodies um, where is the line what is the line is is andrew uh, 
contributing to that conversation and that that um, that way of thinking by just being the flirtatious Andrew that he is, you know, um, does it start there and, and how does it get worse and when does it go wrong? You know, and I, I think that, you know, reading your article about your 13 year old experience for me was fascinating um, because I think that's exactly where, where it goes all wrong, you know, that no one is, is scolding that boy and it's a joke and it's funny and it's interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think having one side of the conversation missing is a huge problem for me. I'm sorry, that was very long. <laughs> long <winded. laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I, I don't, I don't, like, I, like I'm saying, I don't think that we should be having one-sided conversations. But I also think that it's important that men realize that if they come into a space where women are leading a conversation mm. about rape, you will not feel comfortable and we are not there to make that space comfortable for you mm. it will be a tough conversation and it will be a tough a conversation where even you who thinks you're a good man hears that actually i'm fucked up in my thinking because i have never called out the um mm. the, the men in my life or the mm. guys in my life or my oaks my mm. bros my friends who say and do things that are out of control mm. and we've normalized it so much that we think that it's okay but it's not you know i mean this whole uh, i showed you mine let me show you now you mm. must show me your thing i'm pretty sure most people know that joke mm. and it's mm. become a joke mm. it's mm. not a joke it's not it is not i didn't ask you to show me mm. your thing mm. okay and so because i didn't ask you that means that you have forced this thing onto me you have forced it onto me. Therefore, it is a violation, yeah. right? And also, I go into this, in, in my article, I talk about the fact that we don't know the law. Mm. It is illegal for you to flash someone. Mm. It is illegal. It's a crime. You cannot do that. You are not allowed to expose yourself to someone without their consent. You are not allowed to touch someone without their consent. You are not allowed to force someone to touch you without their consent. These are all things that we see as blurry lines, as some sort of... Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a game, you know, that we're playing and we want to see whether women will react to it or not. I've had a guy once say to me that um, he asked me, like, yeah, so you guys don't like it when we compliment you while you're walking past us. How, how then will you feel if you walk past men and they didn't say anything? <laughs> I'm like, nothing. I wouldn't feel anything. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so the fact that men compliment me or they whistle at me or whatever should be something that that I that I find to be appealing that I find to be amusing that I find to be a validation of my womanness I don't I don't understand that but this man legitimately did not understand when I said stop harassing us yeah. it's harassment we don't like it we don't enjoy it. Sandu Kane, I'm very worried uh, that um, we're going to run over the time that you, you specifically mm. said we shouldn't <laughs> run over. Um, so so mm. I think, uh, thank you very much. We, we need a longer conversation on this. Uh, just a last question, yeah. 20 seconds, uh, you know, mm. as a woman leading the conversation, what is the question that we shouldn't leave the studio uh, without asking today? I think the main thing is why are we as men um, not calling our friends out mm. um, and why are we perpetuating this behavior? Also, why are we not 
why are we not going to conversations where women are leading these questions and thinking about what it means for us to be a part of this rape culture? Fantastic. Thank you very much. We'll do our best to ask those questions. We really appreciate you sharing your story with us, Shandukani, and we hope to have you on the show again. Cool. Thank you, Shandukani. Sure, no problem. Um, just, uh, sorry, just a quick addition. Mm. Um, if anyone missed the, 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 the conversation, Huffington, Huffington Post on Facebook and on Twitter had a fa- Facebook live chat with me. We were talking about this. So if people have questions, they can just quickly go and check that out. We, we address some of these issues. Awesome. Huffington Post. Thank you very much, okay, Shandukani. Cool. Wow, Mara, um, you've 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 sat uh, listening intently to this conversation. There's a lot of things that have uh, come out, um, and and uh, particularly the role that men um, play in this conversation. Um, we are certainly not just part of the problem; we are the problem. Um, how do we legitimately engage in in a conversation like this, and uh, and and not? Not taking up the lead, as, as Shandukani seems to suggest. Um, should we be standing back and taking instructions? What? How do we? How do we do this? Well, uh, I run a facility that helps uh, rape and abuse victims, and I'd like to mention the fact that one uh, out of three women is raped or abused, but in South Africa, one out of six men is raped or abused. So I deal with men and women with rape and abuse, and it affects all people as traumatically, whatever sex you are. So I have a holistic or an overview of the situation. So my belief is that um, we have to encourage bystander intervention, and together we can make a difference in the country, irrespective of uh, your uh, creed or sex. So... What I mean by that, because as Shandukani correctly said, we need to call out our brothers when they do something wrong. Um, so what is bystander intervention? That is, brother, that's not a great joke. That's not a cool joke. Mm. It's going up to a chick in a bar when you see a guy's hitting on her and say, do you have a lift home? Mm. We need to get involved. And that's everybody. You know, it's so interesting because, I mean, as a as a broadcaster, I can sit here and go, yeah, I agree 100%. But it's so funny when you're in those situations. So I found myself in a situation, I think it was two years ago, where um, someone was being harassed. Uh, we were at a bar. I was actually quite drunk. And I just noticed this thing where this guy put his hand on this girl's breast. And it was clearly just not mm. – it wasn't a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. It was just some random guy. Did, and it was this amazing moment where I was like – is that happening? It's not okay. Is is that actually happening? And then I was like, maybe because of the state that I'm in, mm. and I was seeing in a state, <laughs> I was in a state that I was seeing things, mm. and it's 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 paralyzing. And I can just imagine. I, I have no idea what it's like for for the 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 woman in this situation, but for me it was paralyzing. And I was like, geez, I've got to I've got to change that, man. I got to get involved here because that's just bullshit. Uh, I think that language. is definitely one, that's one of the things that's got to happen. And we've got to realize that we're not anti-men. We're anti-rape. Mm. That's very, very important because sometimes we feel hurt and angry and it comes over incorrectly, but actually we are anti-rape. Mm. And I think that if we stand together and work on it, um, I don't know if you've been aware, but there are those recent campaigns overseas and I see that they had it at Hooters as well, where you put a poster behind mm. the bathroom door. Mm. So that, um, so, so I think, it, 
And I've had the discussion, should it be in the men's toilet as well? Because it could happen to men to as men well. men as well. Mm. Mara, uh, here's a, an interesting just uh, the stats. You said one in three uh, are raped. Um, does that then, could we then say one in five men are rapists then at least? So, I mean, one in three women are being raped. Who's raping them? It's, a, it's not the same group of ten guys running around all over. Does that mean that the scourge, is so is so wide that uh, there are like one in five men, uh, at least, who are who are who are doing these rapes. Is it a one to one relationship? Even if it's a one to two relationship, it is that is one in six men are are rapists. How much do we know about um, about the, the the prevalence of of rapists? Um, and let's and let's call it sexual offenders more broadly. Um, that leads to a one in three statistic. So one in three women say they've been raped or abused. So let's look at what is the definition of rape or abuse, because we tend to think of it um, as an outside situation, and I'm qualify what I mean. Um, that could be rape within a marriage, because in this country it is illegal to rape your wife, to have sex with your wife if she said no. Straight away we have that. We have people taking advantage of children for marks at schools and universities. So it's. I guess I'm answering the question by saying I can't identify who that person is or where the numbers they are because quite often it's seen, as you mentioned in your uh, uh, intro, about a situation. Mm-hmm. It's it's a transactional. Um, uh, we have uh, uh, sugar daddies here. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those, are, those are all rapists. Having sex with a child... Under 16 is rape. It's statutory rape. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very broad definition. So I don't think you can sit in a taxi and say, out of the number of people in this taxi, there are ex-rapists. What you can say is there are ex-survivors. Mm. It's interesting that we bring up uh, the, the idea of the perpetrators. Rory, you know, we, we pose this question very cleverly, uh, if we don't say ourselves, about have you never been raped? Mm. And things were in inverted or in, in brackets. So it was like, have you raped is the, the other way you can see it. Mm. You know, let's bring in the personal experiences here. Have you ever felt uncomfortable in, in any uh, sexual interaction that you've had? And I will pose the same question back at me or maybe something that your friend has spoken about in circle. You know, the what, what did uh, Trump say? The uh, locker room talk mm. where you're like, yes, no, that, that's just there's, there's something very uncomfortable with what's uh, what's been said there. Yeah. So I don't I don't think I've personally ever been in that, but I think I. I've been in plenty, but I didn't feel uncomfortable. That's that's mm. that's that's maybe the sad indictment on me. Is I've been plenty of conversations with guys, having guy talk, mm. um, and so on. I didn't feel uncomfortable, mm. and and that's this is a, a moment of introspection around why didn't I feel uncomfortable? I didn't feel uncomfortable because we've just grown up having these conversations. Mm. It's okay to hear a guy saying, you know, I slept, I slept with this person, I slept with that person, um, and of course, I've never had a conversation where a guy said, oh, I raped a woman. Mm-hmm. Right, um, but have I had conversations where a guy, you know, big thing is just the, you know, the catcalling or, or, you know, going after a girl without her consent and mm-hmm. so on. That that happens all the time. Mm. I haven't felt uh, bad about it, and now with this knowledge, I think I, I look back and I say, hmm, okay, what does it mean moving forward? Mm. What's your experience? 
Um, I think that there's definitely been more um, less aggressive moments that that I've personally been involved in, but feel like those are the moments that then lead to to other issues. And by that I mean like flirting uh, with women when I was younger and, and maybe even older. Um, where you're trying to take the conversation in one way, it's clearly not going that way, and then you continue. Mm. You know, you you want to push the boundary. Mm. I read a really interesting article about women who feel that rape starts when you keep saying no, and then you keep getting harassed to the point where you actually give in. You mm. know, mm. and that feeling of giving in, and, and so on and so on. And I think that there's definitely a part of me that's felt uncomfortable in the past around that. Um, it's quite interesting, though, that uh, isn't it a, a culture thing that it's almost like a, the chase? A, 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 yeah. A a way, you know, having a woman in bed is about un- uh, picking a lock. And mm. if I say the right thing and I do the right thing and mm. so on, eventually mm. it'll happen. It'll happen. Uh. She, 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 you know, she, her wanting me is sitting somewhere in there. I just need to pick the lock, mm. give the right incentives and so on, which is, and, and look, it, it's something we see in Hollywood as well. You know, all the movies we watch, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's just this idea that continuous you can chase, you just do the right things, the right flowers, whatever, whatever. Uh, don't take no for an answer And then eventually we hear it in, in all of these Famous love stories Oh I didn't like him at first And he persisted He was on my doorstep every mm. single day mm-hmm. Flowers, this exactly. And then eventually exactly. And we say oh what a lovely story But uh, <laughs> you know I think this type of conversation Is beginning to reorient my mind about But is it a lovely mm. story Someone who's been doing some research is uh, Dr. Benita Mulman. Uh, she's a specialist in, at Human and Social Development Research Program, uh, HSRC. And uh, Dr. Mulman did a really interesting study, uh, or she was part of a study where she went into jails and uh, discussed the with sexual offenders uh, why, what happened, how it happened, so on and so on. Dr. Mulman, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So tell us a little bit about what uh, this this project of, of you going to interview perpetrators. What were you trying to uh, establish from, from that research? Yeah, so the research happened quite a while back. Mm. Um, but the initial aim and the purpose of the research was kind of to try and understand what were the links uh, between rape perpetration and masculinity. And so I wanted to speak to, I worked in the gender-based violence sector for a long time, and I worked at rape crisis, and I was interested in national and around prevention of rape, so how do we stop it, you know? Um, and I thought the best way is actually to speak to the men who commit uh, these crimes, and so I interviewed sex offenders in three different provinces. And um, so, yeah, it was about understanding what are those links, I think they're taken for granted, so to normative masculinity. The thing, some of the things you were just talking about now that is often normalized and therefore there is no sense of uh, comfort or awkwardness and how sex offenders often use, and I talk about it as sort of mobilizing, they mobilize discourses of masculinity to perpetrate and to violate and in some ways to gain complicity. Um, and so they gain complicity or compliance from women and in that way, they excuse their own behavior uh, and rationalize their own behavior. There's so, a, yeah, that was the, the, the. There's a misconception out there that um, that sexual offenders and education are linked in some way or form. Is that a misconception, or is is there some truth in it? Give us your understanding of that. Should say again, sex offenders and and education levels. 
I.e., the, the 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 worse your or the worse your education or the the more limited your education, the more probability that you're a sex offender. No, not at all. I mean, I think we just have to look back in the past year, two years, to the number of cases of sexual offences on university campuses, mm. um, and it's because of exactly that kind of assumption uh, that you know people make it that in terms of education levels or academic education levels and the perpetration of rape. But the thing with rape is that it's around the normalised masculinity that all men often uh, embody and perform. You know, they practice this normalized notions of masculinity. And no matter what the levels of education, they're still invested in a very normalized masculinity, which means it's around assumptions of entitlement, it's around assumptions of men as aggressor and seducer, it's around women as performing a particular kind of femininity, and therefore they have access to women, have control of women, have possession of women, and it can be very subtle. It doesn't always have to be very sort of hostile and aggressive and explicit. I think often we kind of talk about the uh, hostile, aggressive, sort of hyper-masculinity. But it's often the other way around as well. It's often the subtle sort of performances of masculinity that's as dangerous and as harmful. So no, education levels doesn't doesn't... It doesn't sort of equal, you know, because these low levels of education, there will be high levels of rape. In fact, in fact, I wonder whether the jock culture that we see in mm. in very in educational institutions mostly um, tends to drive because jock culture has a lot of this sort of behaviour built into it. Um, to the both of you, Mara and uh, and 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 Dr. Mulman, um, how do we so prevention is better than cure? But uh, unfortunately, where rape is concerned, it's difficult because a lot of this is is partners um, it happens it happens behind closed doors uh, how I want to to look at the pe- perpetrators and say is there are there markers uh, and I know it might sound like a silly question right you can't see a person he's not written I'm a rapist but are there markers that we can begin to uh, to, to, to look at Dr. Mulman, you spend time with uh, sexual perpetrators um, where we can begin to say, you know, this type of behavior and this type of behavior is an indicator that as a mother, as a father, I'm raising a, a rapist. Um, are, is there any way where, because we, we need some early warning signals, it seems, and, and we don't have them. So we, we only know when it's too late and the damage has been done. Um, I, I know, Mara, that you work, you have a, an, an exciting technology technology platform that comes after the fact as well. Has there been any work around the prevention element of how we we almost uh, see the red flags even before anything happens? Uh, One of the things that uh, women need to be taught uh, is awareness of habits that could lead to uh, gender-based violence. For example, if your partner keeps looking at all the messages on your phone, He's trying to control you, and as uh, Benita said, uh, it's control of a woman, and they they are step by step. Benita, would you like to say something? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been thinking about this question of markers. People often talk about profiles, mm. uh, and to, I mean, from the first word, from the word go, which is always to me, wow, these men are so normal in inverted commas, right? Mm, mm. And I think you did kind of say that in terms of that it can be anybody. But I think in further sort of closer inspection, for me, it is about looking at sort of the norms of masculinity that are somehow sort of 
exaggerated or sort of invested in. So a norm of entitlement, for example, if you look at boys between the ages of 17, 18, 19, and we start looking at what they think they are entitled to in relationships with women, or not even in a sort of relationship as in a committed relationship, but in a relation to women. Mm. You know, what are they expecting from starting to engage in dating relationships or in casual sex? What are the kind of expectations that they have of women? And I think we really need to start looking at, at sort of the younger boys and younger men in terms of how they normalize a masculinity that is filled with entitlement and with ownership and position. So for me, we need to start looking there rather than looking at uh, sort of profiles in a very sort of psychological sense. I think we need to be looking at it more in sort of a sociological sense. Mm. The other one for me is around issues of attachment and intimacy deficits. So you often find that talking to sex offenders, they talk about the intimacy relationships as often quite conceptual. They struggle with intimacy. Mm. And so I think that would be something else is to look at how how do men, how do boys deal with intimacy? Um, I think often in terms of the broader societal messages, they discouraged from dealing with intimacy at a, at a young age because they're supposed to sort of be the, the what do you call the hunters mm, and they're supposed mm, to, mm. you know, be a bit of women. So for me, at a very 17, 18, 19, that age, age group, how are they developing intimacy, intimate relationships? That for me would be key as well. So we'll start picking up how they develop respect and equality through notions of intimacy as well as sort of handling and managing their own emotions um, in intimate relationships rather than it being, because what will happen is it becomes displaced. The intimacy deficits becomes displaced and it then gets acted out in the form of aggression and violence. Mara, any, not, anything um, to add one of the things yeah. I was going to mention is earlier on you brought up is how is this happening uh, with younger and younger children. So first of all, um, uh, after the um, uh, Ray- Fees Must Fall campus uh, uh, events, uh, we were called to one of the universities. In fact, we've been there three times already because massive rapes occurred after that. Which campus was it? It was Pretoria. Okay. And so we are working with them on an ongoing basis because they couldn't cope with the onset. So then you have a lot of other emotions because it's about control. It's about expressing your masculinity, expressing your displeasure against the system, and you become empowered in yourself in incorrect manners. Mm. And they were not able to cope with the the rapes that started occurring. Then you had other uh, problems with the situation is that the people that were raped didn't want to come forward, um, although they needed the care because um, they felt they were letting the movement down. So we have so many complicated things in rape and abuse that we need to address. It's, it's not just a sexual thing. There's a power thing mm. and all sorts of things. I'm just interested uh, to both to both our guests at the moment, and maybe we can start with you, Dr. Mulman, on this idea of South Africa, our legacy, um, the issues of where we've come from, and the fact that we have a fatherless almost generation um, of 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 young boys and girls who have, haven't grown up with fathers and how that affects mentality and psychology of, um, of this rape culture. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been rethinking this whole fatherless, the absent father sort of lens that we keep on talking about and repeating. Mm. 
And I almost want to add, comma, as if it is problematic. I don't think it is necessarily problematic. I think if you look, and I mean, I'm wanting to explore this actually further in, in a research project, if you look at what happens in the absence of fathers, my sort of just cursory glance is that women step in. So women as sisters of single mothers, um, women as grandmothers, women as friends, women as cousins. Those women step into that gap um, and say so there is independent, healthy children. It's yes. not necessarily a problem with a severe fatherlessness. Yes. I think fathers in nuclear uh, patriarchal families are more problematic than absent fathers. Oh, how and so? Which is why we which is why we're in the situation we're in. Mm. Because the nuclear patriarchal family uh, sort of aspires to a notion of power that is hierarchical and yes. that endangers, in some ways endangers women and children within families, which is why we see so many men in families committing acts of rape and sexual abuse. Because they think they're entitled to the power and they think they can do whatever they want to with the power that they've given within nuclear patriarchal families. So I think the idea of fatherless families, we really need to start looking at what has been in place of the father and has it really sort of been detrimental to children or not. And from what I can see, it hasn't been. But we do need to look at what is the holding of men in families? What is the role in terms of what are the kind of roles men wanting to play? Mm. But we need to get away from this idea of fatherless families as something that's dangerous. Just to bring listeners up to speed, we're speaking, uh, have you never been raped? Frankly speaking, have you never been raped? That's the title of the show. Uh, we, we've been speaking to uh, fascinating guests from different uh, perspectives and different uh, spectrums, I suppose. We've also on Twitter, if, you, if you'd like to see some of the conversations, we've put up a whole bunch of uh, articles. Interesting, Rory, uh, I saw a TED talk last night uh, between a perpetrator and a victim um, uh, in, in, in Iceland, funny enough unbelievably fascinating watching those two talk about their experiences and how different they both saw those experiences mm. and only upon reflection did they actually get specifically from a perpetrator's perspective actually realize how intense mm. the psychological damage of what that person did was mm. um dr Mormon, you were speaking and, and um and Mario, you were speaking about our campuses. If you've never seen The Hunting Ground, the documentary, it's about American Ivy League schools and the pandemic of rape that goes on on those campuses is nuts. It's mm. absolutely nuts. It is absolutely out of control. Another uncomfortable uh, part of the conversation um, that, that comes up, at least in the research, is this idea of re-victimization. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Um, uh, one study says that uh, a woman who's been raped is 35 times more likely to be raped again than somebody who's never been raped again. Now, that is scary enough. And and then you come across stories, you know, we, we come across people who say, you know, I haven't just been raped once. I've been raped many different times by many different people in many different contexts. Um, and then you, you look at the, the research and the literature and it seems to suggest, and, and this is where I think the discomfort comes in, it says that, that there are behaviors um, that, that, that a victim uh, assumes, trauma behaviors, that can lead to this being repeated. How, how are we... So, first of all, it's a difficult conversation to have because... Uh, 
it's very difficult to say that and not sound like you're saying that it is the victim's fault. Uh, and that's certainly not what I am saying. But it then raises the question of the type of support we provide to victims immediately after they get raped. Mara, what's been your experience of, of that? Is this a phenomenon you come across a lot? And what is what drives it? Uh, on that point, I would say the most important thing about after you've been raped or abused is to get counseling. I wrote it on the notes that I've been mm. taking because none of the other guests c- covered that. So one of the, the very first things we do after you've uh, been raped to have the necessary tests, if you can get DNA, we do not force people to report their case to the police because sometimes they're in a position where they need your support to get to that stage What we do strongly encourage With every person we deal with I'd like to tell you that on our free helpline uh, Last year We had 30,000 calls Wow That's just one helpline That is a lot of calls That's a lot of people who need help And every one of them uh, gets the places Where they can go to for counseling Because it's absolutely invaluable In my own walk I tried to kill myself with the trauma. I couldn't cope with it. I went through all the stages of post-traumatic stress, which people do because you suffer from post-traumatic stress after gender-based violence or rape. So we absolutely urge that people go for counseling so that they don't manifest those signs. They don't attract those things unto themselves, that victim mentality. But if you look at post-traumatic stress, one of the best ways that we can see that people who suffer from post-traumatic stress is the veterans who live on the streets of America. They are fighters. They went to war. They fought for their country. Now they sleep on on streets because they can't make it in the real life. Well, that's a way of us seeing that rape victims suffer from that same stress, and we need to let them not be reoffended. Dr. Mormon, your thoughts on this re not reoffended, but revictimization uh, you know, re- of of rape. Are the stats, uh, in your experience, do they line up with what uh, Rory was saying? I absolutely agree with what Mara was saying. You know, there's an experience of uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We call it post, we call it rape trauma syndrome, specifically in terms of, of rape and sexual offences. Um, and absolutely, in terms of rape trauma syndrome, it can be expressed very differently. And people don't often understand what that experience Expression of the trauma is, and people can take, uh, people can then find women in vulnerable, I suppose, situations, and then be victims uh, of, of multiple rapes. So, I think I absolutely agree with Mara what Mara has been saying in terms of counselling, and then uh, if not going for counselling, the danger, the danger of re-victimisation. I mean, rape. When we talk about control and power, it's also about uh, opportunity and vulnerability. And so, sex offenders will try and identify people who are vulnerable, mostly women and girls who are vulnerable, but also boys who are vulnerable. And it's an easy expo- easy situation, so to speak, to exploit. And uh, women then become re-victimized in that kind of way. Mm. But I totally agree with Mara, what Mara was saying. Mara, the, the TS team is made up of six directors and advisors who are all white, with the exception of one person. Um, each of these women, you say, have had their own experiences uh, and understand how it feels to be powerless and hopeless. Um, there is a perception in the popular imagination that rape is a particularly black issue. Uh, at least, uh, you know, I, that's what I 
let's let's be about myself. In my <laughs> popular imagination, <laughs> my thought is that it's a black issue. But you've got uh, you've got you've got six uh, white, you've got five white women um, running this thing who say they have their own personal experiences around the issue of rape themselves or somebody who they know. Um, what 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 are the are there any differences uh, in in the cultural um, prevalence of rape across different race groups and different cultures? Uh, that's a very interesting question because there are many misconceptions about who rapes and who gets raped. Basically, it can happen to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Mm. However, the rapes that um, are reported on our helpline number, we can document uh, geographically because uh, they give us permission to geocode. Mm. We use non-personal information and we find that the majority of abuse people seeking help come from uh, high-walled areas. So, we, of course... High-walled areas. So, so the gated communities and... Mm. So, what, what Sorry, they're seeking help or they are the ones that have... That are... Victims. That are victims. victims. Mm. Are victims seeking help. Mm. So, it's victims seeking help because, mm. I mean... Clearly, we've got a massive issue in, in the stats that we all put, throw around in South Africa, which is the people that don't actually report anything, don't phone the, the helpline, and so on and so on. Carry on, please. Sorry, I just wanted to. So, so in the high walled areas, one has to look at why why are those uh, cases happening? Because it's an, a non personal helpline, and mm. uh, because they don't have to speak unless they want to, mm. and they can get the help. So, the the type of victimization that's taking place is in those areas could be anything from um, you got married at eighteen to a director of a big business, and he he abuses you financially. Because all uh, abuse isn't just rape. Abuse mm. comes across all sectors. So what was interesting, we have a trial at the Ikulureni Center with four, four facilities. And one of the questions that the um, uh, uh, people who brought the children in for checking had to ask was, uh, because we wanted to ask a more subtle question, was do you live in a formal or informal housing? And of all the victims we interviewed over a six-week period, um, they were nearly all in formal housing, not informal. Oh, so wow. we have a misconception, and they were all hospitals predominantly in the townships. Mm. Um, and so I think we have a, a misconception that rape ha happens amongst poor black people. The fact is rape happens. Wow. Dr. Moorman, we have to wrap up. Um, it, it, I mean, this is a conversation that, that almost feels like it needs a series of different conversations. Mm. Um, if you had to, to, to give a parting shot on this, on this issue and how we're supposed to be, or at least how we should be moving forward, because it looks like the reported stats are coming down, but the sense is that the problem isn't going away. It's just the reporting. There's something that's not happening with the reporting. What is uh, the, an angle that we should be pursuing now to try and arrest the situation because it seems after many years of awareness and so on, we're not getting anywhere. Um, in 30 seconds, where should we be looking next? Yeah, for me, we should be looking at the sexualization of boys. So at 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, how are boys sexualized? It's quite uh, scary to learn that lots of boys learn about sex 
through pornography. Mm. And they're learning about uh, pornography through the peers. So I think that's where we need to focus. We really need to focus on the sexualization of boys. And parents, mothers, fathers need to start understanding how the young boys are being sexualized and play a more active role in educating boys around healthy sexualities. I think boys are left to say, you know, take a condom and that's it. We need to be a lot more committed and so active around around boys' sexuality. Thank you, Dr. Mulman. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mara, other thoughts, uh, final thoughts? Where where exactly should we be focusing if we're going to, to, to arrest the situation? Well, I'd like to say to every survivor that's participating today, there is hope, there is healing after rape and abuse. Go and get it. So my advice is, if you've been in a situation, go out and get the help that you need. All right, and if you if you are listening to the show and you do want some help, that helpline that uh, Mara was speaking about, it's uh, star one thirty four star seven three five five hash from any phone, uh, star one thirty four star seven three five five hash from any phone, and you can speak to someone who can potentially support you on your road to recovery anonymously, right? Anonymously, yeah. Mm. And uh, guys, thank you so much to all the guests. There's uh, a whole bunch of information on. Uh, our Twitter handles as well at Talk to Us Frankly. If you want more information, you can go check it out there. Rory, I do think that this is a conversation that needs to be continued. The sexualization of males is such an interesting topic, specifically around pornography and what that all means. Oh, how are you feeling? Uh, <laughs> let's get out of here, man. A lot to reflect on. A lot to reflect on. Thank you so much for listening. And you can catch up with any of the podcasts www.cliffcentral forward slash frankly speaking. Have yourself a good day. Ciao, ciao. Central.com